0: If you'll go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to begin there today. I love the church. Most of the, the blessings and greatest moments of my life have happened in a local church. I grew up in a, in a church in Maryville, Tennessee, Oak Street Baptist Church, and it was there that, that I, you know, I was going to that church nine months before I was born, and it was there three days a week, or three times a week at least. And it was in that church that I knew that there were men and women who loved me, who cared about me. I mattered to them. It was there that, that I was led to faith in Christ and was baptized. It was those men and women that encouraged me and supported me and loved me in so many ways, helped me to sense God's call on my life into ministry and even gave me my first opportunities to serve through music and teaching and even let me preach as a 7th grader. That was a very gracious, generous... Bold church, wasn't it? And, uh, you know, the the CHAMPS program I talked about earlier is really just about being that kind of a church. It's about knowing that that no kids are slipping through the cracks, that every boy and girl in our church has at least one adult who's going to love them and pay attention to them and recognize them in the special times of their life and just be that adult that they can look back on someday and say, that person loved me and helped me to know and follow Jesus. But even beyond the church I grew up in, you know, the the church uh, I was serving uh, as youth pastor when I was in Texas, Julius Home Church. We met and married through that church. This church helped me to come to understand God's call on my life as a lead pastor. And and now you are family to us. And it is your love, your support, uh, your encouragement that helps us every day and has helped us to grow into the people that we are. Helped us welcome our daughter into the world and. And you invested in her life and were, and were instrumental to her coming to faith in Jesus. It was into this church that she was baptized. And now you're the men and women that are going to be speaking into her life and helping to mold and shape her. It is here that she will develop her understanding of what Christian community is all about. I love the church. The church is so important to me. And that's one of the reasons that breaks my heart when I learn that 70% of high school students leave the church after they graduate most don't come back or the statistic and this is pre-pandemic that the average american churchgoer goes 1.7 times a month it's even worse than that now more and more christians wonder if the church is relevant anymore And they think, can I worship, love, and serve Jesus on my own? Do I need a church? And with online church becoming more prevalent, you can kind of just do church on your own terms when you want, how you want, dress the way you want. More and more people are losing sight of the importance and value of the church. And I think a big part of that is an ignorance of what the Bible teaches about the church. What are the doctrines, the truths of what the church is, why the church matters, and how it can impact us in our life and our faith. So let's look at the Baptist faith and message and see what it says about the church. It says, "...A New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinances of Christ, governed by His laws, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by His Word, and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. Each congregation operates under the lordship of Christ through democratic processes." In such a congregation, each member is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord. Its scriptural officers are pastors and deacons. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. The New Testament speaks also of the church as the body of Christ, which includes all of the redeemed of all the ages, believers from every tribe and tongue and people. Now, there is a lot of information in here about the church, about its polity and its processes, about the ordinances which we looked at at last week, about uh, the offices of deacon and pastor. Uh, A lot of things in here that we don't have time to unpack this morning, but I would welcome a conversation with any of you about any of these things. But today, I want to focus on the nature, the purpose, and the power of the local New Testament church and the difference it makes In our lives. So let's look first at the purpose of the church. You may remember as we talked about God a couple, about a month or so ago, God in His very nature is love. He is relational. Community reflects the heart of God. From eternity past, God has existed as Trinity, as an eternal community of love Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when God created mankind, He made us in His image to be loved and to love, to be in community. We are made to be in relationship with God and with each other. And in the Garden of Eden, we see Adam and Eve in perfect community with each other, with God, and with all of creation around them. But we also have learned that sin broke those relationships. Sin always divides, disrupts, and separates us. And we see Adam and Eve end up separated from each other and from God With shame and blame. But not only did God create us to live in community, God has chosen to work through community, to restore His broken world, to reconcile Himself with other people. And we see that when God chose Abraham, through whom He would make a mighty nation, the children of Israel. And then from the children of Israel came Jesus, also born into a family, who called along these disciples to come with Him. And then they formed the church. The biblical pattern is always that we are created and saved for community. Not just as individual believers, but to be a part of a body of believers, the family of God. So let's look at what Paul says about this in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is being put together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So, Paul shares with us three pictures that point to the nature and purpose of the church. Each one is increasingly powerful and intimate. The first, he says, that we are fellow citizens. We are fellow citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, in verses 11 through 18, right before what we read, Paul says that through the cross, Jesus not only saves Jews and Gentiles, but in verse 14 he says that He made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So there was this this hostility, this division between Jew and Gentile. Now, when God called the Jewish people, He called them out of the world to be His priests into the world But over the centuries, they had lost sight of that. They forgot their purpose and they started to look down on non-Jews as beneath them and they began to believe that only Jews would inherit the kingdom of God. But Paul tells us that Jesus dispenses with that notion because it's not about heritage or ethnicity. Belonging to God's community isn't about your blood. It's about Jesus' blood. That's what matters. That's what unites us. So while sin isolates us and separates us with shame and blame. In Jesus, we are brought together, united as fellow citizens of God's kingdom. Colossians 3.11, Paul even says, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So in the church, what makes it so amazing is that all of our ethnic and political and economic differences fade away because we all stand on level ground before god but more than just being fellow citizens let's go even deeper he says we are also family members we're family members as believers we're all god's adopted children so we are each other's brothers and sisters by the blood of jesus first john 3 1 tells us how great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of god and that is what we are Romans 8.15 says that as Christians we receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I've heard it said that God doesn't have any orphans. We are all saved into God's family. And so a commitment to Christ must always include a commitment to His family, the church. You can't have one without the other. We are the family of God together. And third, Paul tells us here in verses 21 and 22, that we are a holy temple. Now, in the Old Testament, God dwelled among His people through a tent called the tabernacle and later through a stone building called the temple. But the New Testament teaches that we are God's temple. We are who and how God dwells in the world, not just individually. It's not that you're a temple and I'm a temple. We together are the temple of God. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5 tells us, As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Christ's presence dwells in the world through us. We are now the chosen people. We are the royal priesthood. We are commissioned by Christ to carry His gospel and His glory to the rest of the world. Peter goes on in 1 Peter 2.9 to say, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. The church is the people of God, redeemed by Jesus Christ, called out of the world to be His family and His representatives to a world that's lost in darkness. The church has always been God's plan and is an expression of that relational nature of the Trinity. The church is what Jesus died for. Paul says, just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. Jesus died for the church. The church is not a building. It's not a weekly service. It's not that office that sits up there on the fourth level. It's not a provider of religious goods and services. The church is the family of God, the community of kingdom citizens, the holy temple built up by living stones to the glory of God. That is the nature and the purpose of the church. But 2nd let's look at the power of the church. The power the church has in our lives and in the world. And the Bible goes on to give at least seven reasons why we should commit ourselves to a Bible-preaching, disciple-making, local New Testament church. And the first is for spiritual shepherding. Now, time and again in the Bible, our relationship with God is described as a shepherd and sheep. Of course, Psalm 23 comes to mind as one of those places jesus called himself the good shepherd and he related to his disciples that way as a shepherd to his sheep and and teaching his disciples to to live and to give for the sake of the kingdom you may remember that after his resurrection jesus was sitting with peter and and kind of giving peter an opportunity to realize that he was still in relationship with jesus because he denied jesus three times jesus gives peter an opportunity to declare his love to him three times he says peter do you love me Three times, and three times Peter said, you know, I love you, Lord. And three times Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. So it's no surprise that Peter later encouraged pastors in shepherding their flock. Look what he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5. This is to pastors. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. Now, I read this passage and I always tremble in awe at the holy responsibility that God has given me as a pastor. This is a sacred duty that I take extremely seriously. But how can I possibly fulfill this unless I know the exact flock that God has put under my care. How can I be this kind of pastor and be held accountable to this if I don't know what the sheep are that God wants me to look after? As a pastor, God has expectations on me to shepherd a specific group of people, a local flock, under His care. And that means that it's each Christian's responsibility to become a part of, of a local flock, to be under the shepherding of a pastor. That's each of our responsibilities. Hebrews 13, 17 tells us to have confidence in our leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over our souls as those who must give an account. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Now listen, God has always intended for His people to be shepherded. As I said, Jesus said that He was the good shepherd who calls and prepares and equips men to serve under His shepherding as under shepherds to lead, feed, protect, and care for His church. In fact, the word pastor means shepherd. And it's through pastors and other church leaders that God has chosen to guide, protect, and lead His people. I mean, a sheep can't be its own shepherd, right? That doesn't make any sense. And your soul can't be shepherded outside a flock, outside of a local church. And listen, there are ferocious wolves out there that want to deceive and devour you. There are pitfalls waiting to entangle and entrap you. But in the flock of God's church, we can find rest for our weariness, refreshment for our weaknesses, and relief from our woundedness. The church has power for spiritual shepherding, but secondly, for spiritual growth. We use the fancy word sanctification. That's the process by which we are made holy and we grow in our faith. We become more like Jesus. And God's designed us for every Christian to be more like Jesus. And that process is worked out in the context of Community. The Bible tells us, Jesus says, that lost people walk in darkness because their deeds are evil. They want to hide in their shame. They want to avoid blame. They don't want their sins to be exposed. Well, listen, as Christians, our sin nature is at war with us. It still tries to pull us toward that darkness, that shame and isolation. But as Peter said, Jesus has called us out of that darkness to walk in His wonderful light. According to the First John 1.7, the only way to walk in that light is in community. With other believers, listen to what he says. He says, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have what? Fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sins. Walking in the light means walking in fellowship and community with other believers. Now based on this verse, I I can identify two ways the church helps us grow spiritually. The first, it helps us to identify and defeat the sins in our lives. James 5, 16 commands us to confess our sins to one another and pray for each other's healings. And he goes on in verses 19 and 20, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of of sin. So we have our sins pointed out. We are able to identify our blind spots, our weaknesses, and to work on those things in the community of the church as we pray for each other and encourage each other and can help bear each other's burdens, not in shame, but in vulnerability and honesty and in growth in community. Pastor Tim Chester writes this, one of the great things about living as part of a community is that in community, people walk on your idols. People, press your buttons. And that gives us opportunities to spot our idolatrous desires. Unfortunately, some people just get mad when that happens and they leave, don't they? They get their feelings hurt when they're confronted with the uncomfortable truth about themselves. But if we stick it out, if we let others call us out on the junk in our lives, then secondly, we will mature in Christ's likeness. Remember our New Testament reading. It's in doing life and ministry together that allows us to mature spiritually, even attaining into the whole measure of the fullness of Christ as we encourage each other and pray each other and spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, the the character qualities of Christ love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. How many of these can we really develop and grow and demonstrate in isolation? None of them. Love, patience, gentleness, kindness. Those things need other people in our lives, right? When you've committed yourself to love someone and they give you reasons not to love them, but you choose to love them anyway. When people don't do the things you want, the way you want, as fast as you want, you develop patience, don't you? These fruits are only relevant in community. Paul gives us a similar list in Colossians 3. He talks about having compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Again, the formation of these Christ-like qualities can only happen in community with other Christians. Now, does that mean that conflict doesn't happen in a healthy church? No. No. Listen, when iron sharpens iron, sparks are going to fly, right? But tragically, when some people feel that soul soul shaping friction, they bail. It makes them uncomfortable. They walk away. They cut off God's transforming work in their life. We need to be committed to going all in with the church to stay, even when God is using other people to chip away the sin in our life. We must stay. And let Him sharpen our dull edges and smooth out our rough ones. And we all have some rough edges, don't we? Third, there's power in the church for discovering and using our spiritual gifts. Right, when Jesus left, He left us with His mission. He commissioned us to continue to go out, proclaim the Gospel, and make disciples, and expand the community of God's people around the world. And He gave us spiritual gifts for accomplishing this. Now, God's design is brilliant. He made it so that No Christian can say they have no gifts. And no Christian can say they have all the gifts. He did that so that we would need each other. right? Paul talks about this as being like different parts of the body. Where would our body be if we were all eyes and ears? Where would we be if we were no eyes and ears? We need each other. We need each other's God-given differences and uniquenesses to make the church work. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that there are different kinds of gifts. But the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them and all men. And now, each, to each one, catch this to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The gifts aren't given for my benefit, they're given for yours. Your gifts aren't given for your benefit, they're given for the building up of the body of Christ, the church. So if we're really the body of Christ, then every member is essential. Every member is needed. Every member plays a significant role. If one part of the body hurts, we all suffer with it. If one part of the body is uninvolved and, 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 and disinvested, then the rest of the body is handicapped. Our church is healthiest when our members are identifying and using their gifts to build it up. And the reason we do that is for the, the next reason, the next power of the church is for serving the Lord. It's to help us to serve the Lord. Not only are gifts identified, our calling is confirmed through the church. Isaiah received his calling to be a prophet in the temple, in worship. Listen, I wouldn't have identified God's calling on my life to ministry apart from the church. Now you may say, well David, that's different for me. God isn't calling me into ministry. Are you sure about that? Let's look back at our New Testament reading. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And you're saying, well, yeah, I'm not one of those some. it's not me. But He goes on to say, what's the job of these people? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness and Paul says in Ephesians 2 10 that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do it's in the church that we discover how God has shaped us and placed us to minister to serve him it is only through that engagement and that encouragement with the church that we can really fulfill the Great Commission to go into all the world, to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them to follow Him. Besides, what if God is calling you to be a missionary on some foreign soil? What if God is calling you to be a pastor or to enter full-time Christian ministry some way? What if God is calling you to be a deacon or a Gideon or a Sunday school teacher or to work with youth and children? You can only know that. You can only discover that. You can only fulfill that in the context of the church. Next, there's power in the church for keeping a spiritual perspective. Paul talks in Colossians 3.1 about setting our hearts and minds on things above, not on earthly things. Because that's where Christ is. Jesus said, don't, don't, don't get treasures on earth, but set your treasures in heaven. Paul told Timothy not to trust in riches, but in the God who richly provides Listen, it's easy for us. It's easy for the disciples. It's easy for Timothy. It's easy for us to get fixated, maybe more now than ever, on earthly things, on the pleasures and the demands of this life, and we lose our perspective. But the church helps us to remember this world is not our home. We're members of a different family. We're citizens of a different kingdom. When we give our tithes and offerings, we're not just supporting the church. We're remembering not to set up treasures on earth, but in heaven. We're remembering to trust in the God who so richly provides for us. When we give our time and service to others and we put their needs before our own, it reminds us that I'm not living for my glory, but God's glory. I'm not living for my benefit, but for the benefit of other people. As Hebrews 10 tells us, "...let us consider how we may spur one another on." toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you hear the urgency in those verses? Do you feel the passion with which he's making the argument that we should stay engaged with a local church? He says, if we don't, we're more likely to swerve from the hope we profess. We're less likely to love and do good deeds. We become discouraged. And listen... The closer we get to the day of His appearing, the harder this world is going to make it for us to stand firm and love and do good. We need the church. We need the church next for support in difficult times. Just two more. Support in difficult times. Now the Bible never tells us that God will spare us from difficulties, but He always promises to be with us through the difficulties. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul tells us the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, comforts us. He doesn't spare us from our troubles. He comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. He comforts us so we can pass that on and be equipped to comfort others. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So we weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice. In the church, we're comforted, we're supported in our times of suffering and grief. But it's also in the church that those things find their fullest purpose. If you allow yourself just to suffer in isolation, you're wasting a critical component of how God wants to use your difficulties for the good of other people. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your grief. Let God put it to work for something greater than yourself. We find support and we can offer support together in the church. I, I've been in the hospital rooms with people and at, and at the side of a deathbed of people time and again who have said to me, I don't know how people go through times like this without a church because the church can be such a support. And finally there's power in the church for reflecting Jesus to a lost world. In John 17 Jesus prayed for unity among His followers. He said so that the world may believe that the Father had sent Him. Because God is in a constant community of selfless love. The Son glorifies the Father. The the Spirit glorifies the Son. We are called to be a part of that, to glorify Jesus, to magnify Jesus, and to make Him known to the world. Remember in Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about Jesus' humble submission and His sacrificial love for us. Well, Paul proceeds that by telling us we should have that same attitude as Christ Jesus. And that requires us to be in one accord of one mind, counting others as more important than ourselves, putting the needs of others before ourselves, bearing with each other, forgiving one another as Jesus has forgiven us. Those are the ways that we can have the same attitude and mind of Jesus Christ. Remember that Jesus, on the night, He was betrayed. At the Lord's Supper that night, He washed His disciples' feet. He told them that they should serve one another in that same humble way. And then He said, I give you a new command. Love one another the same way I have loved you. He said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The best way that we can reflect the love of Jesus and that we belong to Him, to this community in this world, is by being committed to each other and loving each other, especially when it's hard. Listen, there are days I'm not very lovable. Ask my family. Ask my staff. But that's when we need each other. That's when we need to double down and love each other even more those days we're not lovable. We need to ask God to give us patience and strength when the people in the pew next to us are really driving us crazy or the people in our Sunday school class or the people on this committee with you that don't agree with you on something. We need to show this community that Jesus Christ has come from God the Father. He's died on the cross for them and we can't do that if we're not united in love for one another. I'm going to ask you this morning to consider where your heart is in relation to Christ's church. Do you love the church that Jesus gave His life for, the bride of Christ, His body? Do you love His church? Are you prioritizing the local church regularly and faithfully worshiping, growing and serving with your spiritual family? Maybe you need to make a recommitment to God this morning to be more that kind of a member of this church. If you're listening online or on the radio this morning and you're physically able to be in worship, what's keeping you away? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you in a small group Bible study? Why aren't you serving? And if you are listening online or on the radio and you physically can't be here, know that we love you and we're still your church family and we want to pray for you and we want to serve you and help you find the ways that even though you physically can't be here, you can still love and serve and pray and give and worship Jesus with your church family. For those of you who are worshiping with us and and even serving with us here at First Baptist, but you've not yet committed to be members of this church, to go all in and and say, this is my family, if God is so leading you, I invite you to come in a moment and say, you know, I want to be a part of this church family. I want to serve and grow and worship here. I want to discover God's gifts for me here. I want this to be the church that can support me and I can support through the good times and the bad. But the most important question I have for you today is have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation? If you've not done that, you are not a part of God's family. You are cut off from God and His people by your sins. But Jesus Christ has made a way. Jesus Christ died on that cross. The veil of the temple was torn in two. The way to God is wide open if you come to Him in faith. If you've never made that decision for Christ, I invite you to come today. Today, you can be born again into the family of God. Today, you can have your citizenship transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son that God loves. Whatever God is laying on your heart today, I pray you would be in obedience to Him. Let's stand. Let's pray together as we respond. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the work of the Gideons as they help to distribute that Word. And we do know Your Word does not return void. And I pray, God, that the words that's been spoken today would go out and accomplish all that You intend for it to accomplish. And Father, we thank You for the church. Lord, we're imperfect. We have lots of rough edges. We have lots of weaknesses and blind spots. That's why we need each other. We are so much stronger together than we are alone. We are so much more equipped to run headlong into the darkness and to bear the light of Christ than we can alone. Jesus said that against the church, the gates of Hades cannot stand. Well, there's nothing that we can't accomplish for your kingdom together, following your Spirit's leading. God, I just pray you would move and work in people's hearts and my heart and our lives that we would be more committed to your church, that we would be all in and serving and giving and praying and going to share the good news with others. And I pray Your Spirit be at work in our hearts and minds in this moment and throughout the week as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.